0: have been on U.S. soil as early as the 16th century, and now, many centuries later, more than 18 million Asians call the U.S. their home. Despite that, Asian Americans are still singled out in everyday life. My name is Audrey Shao,
1: And I am Joey Liu.
0: And we are current sophomores at Boston University Academy, and also the hosts of a new podcast called E equals MC Squared, Looking Beyond the Asian-American Stereotype. Our podcast focuses on the recent growth of anti-Asian hate, the many stereotypes surrounding Asians, and it also includes our true experiences as Asians growing up in the United States.
1: Along with ourselves, we've invited several guests to share their stories. For this month's episode, we've invited Kayleen Chen, a member of our high school community. Judy Ye, a Class of 2020 alum, and Professor Takia Rivera, a professor at BU whose studies and research are focused on the Asian American experience. We hope that our words can inform and encourage others to learn and speak out about Asian identity.
0: Thanks for that, Joey. For starters, you may notice that we will use the term AAPI communities quite a bit. This phrase simply stands for Asian American and Pacific Islanders. Also know that these are our own opinions and thoughts and simply food to get people to start thinking. We are not experts in any way. So please look at the description of this podcast for other resources about AAPI communities. So should we get started now?
1: Yeah, so we will begin our conversation with a few members and alum of our BUA community. So let's, let's address the big thing first, the situation in Atlanta. On March 16th, a series of mass shootings occurred at three Asian spas around Atlanta, Georgia. Out of the eight people that were killed, six were Asian women. In addition, when asked, the shooter claimed that his motivation stemmed from a sexual addiction. This event was part of a large spike in anti-Asian hate crimes across the United States in eight of the United States' largest cities between the years 2019 and 2020. Although the number of overall hate crimes dropped 6%, the number of Asian-American hate crimes rose over 145%. That is
0: truly horrifying. You know, although Asian-American sentiment has never been a novel idea, the sentiment has grown as the coronavirus spread throughout the world, as many claim that this virus is Asia's fault. So what do you guys think about the events that happened in Atlanta?
2: Yeah, so I was feeling devastated, shocked, and heartbroken about not only the Atlanta incident, but of all the hate crimes against the Asian-Americans community. And I feel like up until this point, I've not really heard of any hate crimes against Asians. Maybe it's just because i like, I don't really watch or read the news that much, but I feel like this is the first time that I've heard of a shooting targeted specifically towards Asians. And I feel like this incident really hit home for me because of my culture. And it feels like that the whole Asian American community is being attacked.
0: Yeah, and yeah. I also think that, um, although like the Atlanta shooting is kind of like everyone knows about it and it was a big thing I do feel like it's kind of like I almost had that feeling of finally like finally something's being recognized that
3: there is discrimination against. yeah I agree um I think one main issue that I've seen a lot is the fact that a lot of history on Asian Americans is not covered in schools like one Mm -hmm. of the bigger lynchings in history was of Asian Americans in um, the 1800s and not many people know about it.
1: Yeah, that that's new information for me too. And I think that's just good to show that um, across public schools, private schools, kind of all manner of education in the US, our history is really focused on European history um, or history about white males. And obviously that's not what history is.
0: Um, yeah. I. I feel like in my curriculum, like through my education, the only thing I've ever actually learned about Asian history is at school was like the Silk Road and that barely touches on Asian history because it was spanning across, you know, Asia. um, Like, I think all the way up until- Um, It was
1: part of European history.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I was like, that's literally the only thing that I've learned. I'm sure I might've learned some- other stuff I know some other stuff about Asian history but that's just because of my culture because of my background because my parents have told me these things because that's part of their history
1: and I, I had a slightly different experience where my middle school actually did a pretty good job of I think definitely not having a focused unit on Asian history but we definitely spent at least I don't know I want to say a month to two months discussing um Chinese history so as an example, we had to kind of memorize all of the dynasties. Um, we kind of looked back at a, even at ancient uh, China and kind of seeing that life. But obviously I know, and I think especially at BUA, um, that isn't as shown. I don't know about Kayleen and Judy, but like at least in my experience of public schools, um, they, I would say that private schools tend to be a little bit more focused on European history. Um, I don't know, that may be just my experience. I mean, what are you guys' thoughts on that?
3: Um, I guess I could partially agree with that. I think, if I remember correctly, in third
1: grade at my old school, we talked a little
3: bit about Asian history, but not very much about it. It was kind of just like, there. we talked about the dynasties very briefly, but we didn't talk about, I guess, Asian American history. That is something that... I don't think many schools talk about like the Japanese internment camps or like I guess any of the history on that side.
0: Wait Kayleen did you go to you went to private or public?
3: Private. Ah how
0: about
2: you Judy? I went to a public middle school and we actually went pretty in depth in ancient China and like ancient India and I'm very happy that I got that experience from a middle school.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, we we clearly see a difference. Um, I wasn't actually expecting that my private middle school that I was very I was one of very few Asians. It's Um,
1: interesting. Though at a school at like B O A where um I don't know the exact statistics, but I will say that Asians make up at least half. Yeah, forty percent of the pop of the um student body. Um, that the school doesn't put more emphasis on other histories besides just European history, American history, and ancient history. I feel like they could kind of do a better job at like expanding their historical reach. Um, Perhaps looking at more cultures, I think I can see that like their point of view and the fact that they kind of follow a path that's kind of been set for them. Um, But I think that kind of at BUA they try to emphasize creativity try to emphasize kind of thinking outside the box um and I think in some regards they should perhaps follow that with their history curriculum
0: yeah Judy have you I mean college is so different because you get to choose your own courses but I don't know um like I don't know do you have anything to say
2: yeah sure I feel like because of my experience at BUA where um, there are a lot of Asians I don't really think about the racial differences in my environment like at BUA I don't feel like my Asianness has influenced any of my actions and I'm like so not not used to like be aware of my Asian-ness so like when I got to college it took me like more than a month into the semester to realize that oh I'm the only Asian in my writing seminar or like oh I'm the only Asian in my sports team and I felt like that's really interesting of me to not realize it until like a month later.
0: Yeah yeah that's that's really interesting how maybe bua because it's so different from i think a lot of other private schools and just schools in general that you know the asian community does make up a large percentage like how does that kind of affect um our experience in life and when we like graduate from bua or when we are out of bua kind of what does that shape our perspective so i thought that was really interesting judy and i thank you for sharing Um, your feelings on that, like my white friends or say, um, just people who don't identify as Asian, kind of to understand how we really feel. And because they just grew up differently in their cultures. I don't know, have any of you guys kind of had an experience where like maybe someone of your friend who wasn't Asian, um, kind of, was there a moment where they didn't, you felt like they didn't really understand you as much?
1: Yeah I mean I think for me definitely um kind of relating back to like the events that happened in Georgia um I will say that the ex my experience at BUA was kind of different than what I expected um just because I know that a friend's a friend's outside BUA um they had asked me kind of like are you okay like how are you doing is there ways that I could help um I think especially my Asian friends, we kind of discussed it, but I will say that um, some of my white friends at the it was a little bit different. Um, I, it's, it's, I think it's a lot harder to understand in some ways, um, just because I feel like that they kind of will never experience some of the fear and some of the hate that very obviously is going to come our way eventually. I will say that it's it's difficult to find someone who hasn't, a a someone of color who hasn't experienced that kind of hate and fear, Um, and I definitely feel like that's an experience that like people who are not of color
2: kind of would never understand. It is very important to engage in conversations like these and like to spread awareness so people can actually like. Wait, let me rephrase what do I think um it's good that people should be aware of this so they can make change if that makes any sense
0: yeah yeah of course I I mean I'm all for like people kind of exposed like giving exposure to these different topics but I also do feel like if you want to draw awareness towards something you should like understand it yourself before just in case you're like giving some like information that isn't good or um I just feel like in some cases people kind of just join a bandwagon Um and in that case like you're putting it out there but there's no intention behind it you kind of don't really care if other people you know like listen
1: I think really often, sometimes the sentiment is there but the sentiment is there but the um kind of some of the deeper thoughts behind it is not i would i would say that most like all of the people who are posting things on social media they probably do care if they're asian friends people of color who are friends um if they you know had experienced uh, racism but i feel like the deeper thought and kind of the deeper meaning of what they're posting is oftentimes lost I mean what do you guys think
3: yeah I think I would agree with that um I think what would actually help more is if like schools talked about it or like we had conversations like we're having right now so people could actually understand how we were feeling
0: Absolutely, yeah I couldn't agree with that anymore and I think that's what a lot of schools are in general are lacking is that a lot of schools don't allow people to kind of just have these raw true conversations within their communities um a lot of the times like I'm all for like people having people you know like presentations and stuff on this stuff but in a sense it's a little bit restricting because you don't get to talk about things freely it just feels like you're attending a lecture and like a lot of times they like no shade on any teachers or anything but like they'll like search up a PowerPoint or something online, you know, with like all the information and they're just gonna present it. One, a lot of times they didn't actually do the research themselves. It's given to them and they're just stating straight facts. And I think it's a little bit different when you're just saying, oh, this happened and this happened, these are the percentages and stuff. It's a little different when people say that versus when someone actually tells their emotions and their true experiences on certain events. And that's just what most schools lack in
2: general yeah i agree that these conversations should be encouraged and we should let people know that like this is not okay it's not okay to act like this way and like why we sorry and like how we can fix this problem i think those are the things that should be addressed instead of just like reposting on social media to just follow the trend
1: yeah I mean honestly as small as it says and I know a lot of people um don't pay attention to these but even an ASM would be great you know just to at least have it on people's minds um like I said I don't know how much people actually pay attention duty this year we're kind of doing online ASM so it's a little bit harder um but I definitely think that at least I know Mr. Corvo sent out an email, but-
0: Great. Some- I do wanna talk a little bit more about the situation in Atlanta um, and specifically other people's reactions to it, not just um, like the Asian American community. Um, so we, I think we all know that, you know, the police officer um, who, you know, handled the situation um, was a little questionable I would say a little bit more than a little bit questionable. It's pretty unreasonable. The excuse um, and how he was trying to defend his actions and how he was kind of basically saying that the person who decided to murder eight people was
1: it eight... Well, attempted... Um, yeah, it was eight people. Yeah,
0: it was attempted to murder eight people was having a bad day. I find that so absurd and I don't... I just... You know, I've had many bad days in my life and I'm assuming that everyone has had many bad days in their life because we're humans. But does a bad day mean that you have to go and try to kill eight people? I don't think that's a bad day anymore. I think that that's just, you know, like you're just trying to like, you're definitely just trying to hurt people intentionally. And another thing that I found absurd was that people are... Well, it's not really absurd, but people are trying to say that it isn't a hate crime. It was more of just like, oh, this it was uh, like a mass shooting, yes. But people are saying that it isn't a hate crime. It wasn't against Asians. But I find it that kind of very interesting that people would think that, too. Just looking at the audience that was targeted... um, it clearly seems like it was something intentionally done against Asians. So I don't know, do you guys have any thoughts on uh, the police officer or the um, kind of the, oh, it's not a hate crime statement?
3: um, Yeah, Mm. I guess like the motivations behind the shooter as well. I think um, it was kind of like he was saying it was, he had like, I forget exactly what the wording was but like a sexual problem yeah, yeah. Asian women, sexual motivation, yeah, and that whole thing, I guess, like, I really, really hate that, like, the whole using that as an excuse, I mean, in media in general, there's definitely an over-sexualization of Asian women, and that's just a whole problem in and of itself, yeah, I hate how they're using that as an excuse,
1: yeah, I think especially because, um, I don't know, I feel like in some cases, it's the idea of kind of like that like model minority in America that like Asian people, they're, they're not getting discriminated against or like people often bring up like Asian people are doing fine in the world, you know, um, which I don't know. I think that's A, a bad excuse and B, it should never be a reason to kind of, I don't know. I don't know if this is exactly the phrase, but to like whitewash something like this where um, it's very obviously a hate crime uh, either the, and very obviously something that was stemmed from a really bad stereotype in American media. Um, and I think that there's kind of no use of calling it anything else.
0: I think even worse was that it was Asian women. That's like a double hit, you know? Um that there's like a white male he's saying oh it's oh I had sexual um I don't know I was you know I was just doing this for my own thing and then having another white male who is dealing with the situation go out and say a statement after that just seems a little bit unreasonable because they just can't connect to the victims in any way at all
2: I um- mean but- glad that people are noticing that the situation is poorly executed and I feel like right now because of this event the Asian American community is like more united and like stronger than ever Absolutely. because I... yeah people are like speaking up for themselves and like making donations and stuff to act toward a change and I feel like it's a very good sign that a younger generation like us is very passionate about this topic.
3: Yeah, kind of adding on, Audrey, I think you said earlier that like when you felt this, it was kind of like an wow, finally they're talking about this. Mm-hmm. Like it's terrible, but mm-hmm. finally someone's
1: actually like shedding light on all the issues that we face. I think some of the fact I saw the other day um, while I was doing research for this is that the Asian community, at least in America, have the biggest income difference out of all minorities, which I think you can very easily see in patterns where um, obviously you have Asians who are very well off, but you also have those who are still working hard. They're still trying to, I don't know. I don't like using this phrase because I don't really know how accurate it is, but like they're still trying to find their quote unquote American dream. Um, And I think that's,
2: that's really interesting. And I feel like some people are not like explicitly racist against Asians. It's more of like the implicit prejudice or like internalized racism and like microaggressions towards Asians. And I feel like that needs to stop and change. Yeah, I completely agree.
3: Yeah. Um, A while ago, I saw something about, I think it was a province in I forget where, but they classified Asian people as white people.
1: I don't know if you remember that. That's
0: really interesting. I've never heard of that. Have any, has any, like, Joey or Judy? I haven't
1: heard that. (laughs) I think that that's
3: definitely not a good thing. I think it was kind of like they were going to group them in, like, the same category of, like, I'm I'm just going to Google it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I actually found that really interesting. I did not know that. Um that's really interesting yeah Um, oh you can go ahead go
3: ahead sorry i found the i found what i was was looking for um basically a washington school district um didn't include asian kids and students of color
1: and they grouped them with white kids instead that's really strange that's yeah um i don't know if i've ever heard of a place doing that wait is are you saying like washington like um the state or dc washington state Uh, that that's very strange
0: all right yeah thanks so much Kaylin, for sharing that that I think that was to all of us a big something that we've never really heard before um and it was a school district too so it was like for people like probably around our age too right yeah like high school wow okay um yeah and I think Joey going back to what you were saying I think another big thing at BOA is Um, I don't know if people know this, but like every single teacher at BU, uh, not every single, the large, large majority of teachers at BUA are white, um, and we obviously have addressed like our curriculum.
2: Yeah, in junior year, I remember reading some um, like primary literature written by Black people. (coughs) Definitely more
1: this year, I think that BUA is trying yeah. Um, and I think that's a good thing, yeah. but I think that they're trying a little too little too late at this point.
0: It's definitely a change, though, because they are—they're um, aware of that. Their curriculum is, you know, they need more diversity in it. I think that's great. So I do think that BOA is, you know, slowly. But I'm just hoping that, like, for the future generations or the future grades that. Um, you know, the curriculum can be a little bit more inclusive, uh, but
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think also at the UA, uh, something that's kind of interesting, though, is because of, like you said, 40% of the um, of the student body identifies as Asian or is partly Asian, the difference that emerges between those, um, I don't know, but uh, towards like Kayleen and Judy, like what generation... Um, uh, Asian are you as in, like immigrant being um, the like the first generation children of immigrants being second and then children of those being third
2: I think maybe I'm like a 1.5 because I came to the U.S. when I was 10 with my immigrant parents so I was born in China but like I grew up in American in America since after 10 wow yeah
0: that's really cool i think we have people from like 1.5 two and three um i
3: my
1: parents Kaylee, what are you what are you sorry oh. Audrey. um
3: i guess technically 2.5 i'd say um my mom immigrated from china and my dad was born in new york but his my grandparents on his side were from taiwan so
0: Wow, Joey, we have we have 1.52, 2.5. And then Joey, you're
1: three, right? I'm three. I'm what? possibly the furthest station that you could get. Um, but I think that something that's really helped me stay connected to like Asian roots is definitely A, having seen my grandparents a lot. Um, B just at least my favorite food is kind of Chinese food, Korean food, um, Japanese food hundred percent take that any day over pasta maybe not pizza but um and I think also I have parents who have really stressed the ideals of keeping up at least the important Asian cultures we celebrate Chinese New Year um my I my parents they have taken us to Asia many times and I do think that like It's interesting to see at BUA the difference in experience, even within the Asian culture, within the Asian community at BUA. Mm. Um, I
3: guess talking about kind of Asian culture sort of thing, like my experience in a private school, which was predominantly white, I guess the whole thing about embracing Asian culture, like my family does like a lot of these traditions and sort of stuff, but growing up, having not seen like anyone who kind of looked like me or in the media or just in real life, it was kind of a thing where I kind of tried to like reject my own culture. Like I took pride in like the fact that like I can't use chopsticks and I was like, Oh yeah, I can't, I don't really speak Chinese. And like, now that I'm older, it's kind of like, Oh, I really wish I actually did a lot of this stuff. I wish I actually embraced my culture more.
0: When I was born, I actually didn't know how to speak any English. This was like very, very young course because my family's at home, my uh, family members at home uh, usually speak in Chinese but I'm a little bit regretful that when they talk to me in Chinese these days I will usually reply to them in English I think it's because I speak to my friends in English I learn in English I kind of just like automatically go to English Um, but do your families also speak like your uh, native languages at home
2: yeah actually I speak completely entirely in Chinese with my mom and dad and like English with my with my younger siblings yeah and I want to add on to the environment thing Um, like I'm kidding you said you feel like you don't fit into the white environment the white culture or the Asian culture and I just want to say that you don't have to fit into a culture you find a culture that's right for you and just like love your culture accept your culture and be proud of who you are and is that asian american
1: has its own culture of BUA, which i think is really great like i can see you guys are both nodding your heads obviously on the podcast i can't see that but um because i feel like there is so many people whose parents um grew up in america or it, it, it's it, it by itself has become a culture and something that like a, large, a substantial amount of people are part of, which means that at least at BUA, I think there is less of that in-between feeling um, that I think many people experience, myself included.
0: One thing though, is that I do wish that people in at BUA um, in general would speak out a little bit more about issues and things that they yeah, believe
1: in. I, Mm -hmm. yeah i think that like because a large percentage of the BA community is um asian as a result of that i feel like people feel if anything less inclined to speak out just because they're surrounded by people like asian i I don't know that's just been kind of my view my experience on this and the fact that like they're kind of surrounded by people who are asian and then because of that they kind of i don't know again i don't completely understand but like Feel less inclined to speak
2: out just because, yeah. I don't know. For, just for my experience, I graduated before the Black Lives Matter movement, or like we stopped going to school after COVID happened. But I think my experience at BUA um, is a very positive one, like regarding the support to the API community. I think we like celebrated Chinese New Year and then I see so many reposts on Instagram by my classmates and I feel very supported by them.
0: Maybe it's like a COVID slump or something like that. Um, Yeah. Maybe a little bit. Uh, I know that we have like an Asian culture club at BOA. This year, I haven't really heard that much um, from them, which is a little bit disappointing, but you know... I do think that you know it could just be a result from you know kind of being how would you say like reverse homesick in in a way and kind of just being so dumb with the situation it just seems like I think especially that this coronavirus has been projected in most people's life as like the like the one huge and the largest thing that people need to be concerned with. And like, I'm not saying it's not important. It's very important. Um, But I also feel like then most of the conversations that people have and if people do want to speak out about stuff, a lot of them are just going to be related to COVID stuff. And I think maybe because of that, some other things are overlooked. And I think kind of BOA students adjusting to these like new schedules, these new ways of learning and stuff like that, um, maybe kind of drew back that attention for um, AAPI communities. Um, That's kind of just what I think, but um, hopefully with this podcast or with these events that we're trying to do, you know, people will be we can get back the Asian culture club maybe, um, and people can be kind of like a little bit more open to speaking, um, but it's so sweet Judy knowing that you, you're great and everyone, um, you guys all seem to, you know, really speak out about this and that's truly amazing. Um,
3: I don't know if you have these traditions, but like eating like noodles on your birthday for like long life yeah. or like, I guess for like, i going to see the moon on the mooncake festival. Mm -hmm. Just we do a lot of those traditions at my house.
0: Yeah. I also think that there's something that lacks importance is a lot of people like know oh, like you're supposed to do this on a certain day. Oh, they do certain things. But I think they just like, oh, oh, you're supposed to eat dumplings on this day, but I don't think they actually know why. Um, like for the noodles, like I don't think people a lot of people know that. Um, and people in our culture do eat those noodles because they're like long. They're like they're supposed to like be like an ever long or like a kind of like infinite long piece of noodle, kind of to represent someone's life and longevity. Um, I doubt many people know that, and I think that that's one thing that it's really hard to do in a school is not only teach people this stuff and have them be interested about it. But also like having them know actually why and, but what's behind the culture um, so we've prepared a, a quote recipe of the month that we're doing for each podcast and for this month we've chosen scallion pancakes or in chinese you call them um and they're you know usually like appetizers or something like that and they're extremely tasty um, i don't know i you guys have all had those right yeah yeah Did, do you guys like have them homemade
1: or uh do you guys usually like buy them we buy them <laughs>
3: we yeah. buy
2: them because none of us know how to make them
1: <laughs> yeah really
0: oh well my my parents try to make them because my mom she's always like trying to find a healthier alternative for things um but well when i first chose this and we were thinking about like traditional versus americanized i mean it's pretty hard to change scallion pancakes. There's not many ingredients to it. Um, and it's very, you know, I would say it's very identical. Like there's almost like it has its own identity when you look at a scallion pancake. You're like, oh, that's a scallion pancake. I like know what it's going to taste like and stuff like that. But I'm, that's really interesting, Joey, that, you know, there's some like fast food chains or even just like Americanized Chinese restaurants or like Chinese chains that are creating this these scallion pancakes and kind of pop making them more popularized um I would say in Asian cuisine that scallion pancakes are pretty well known to you know uh, just people who aren't Asian um, um so we'll link the me. recipe to this scallion pancakes it's the one that my um Grandparents used. Um, it's also it's pretty basic. I would say you could change a few things if you wanted to, um, and they would turn out fine. Um, so we hope that you guys will have time to try it out if you want to. Um, and that wraps up most of what we're going to talk about. Right, Joey?
1: Yeah. Um. I think what we're probably going to do.
2: Oh yeah, go ahead, Judy. Yeah. I just wanted to say that, like, thank you so much for having me. And I just wanted to say that. Um, Personally, I'm not very well versed in these conversations regarding like politics or racism and like I struggle to verbalize my thoughts because these conversations are very sensitive and just for me personally it's very easy for me to step away from these problems and not want to talk about it because they're so sensitive, Mm -hmm. but like now I feel like we have to engage in these conversations to spread awareness and like make change and I guess that is the reason why I'm here I just wanted to say that I'm very thankful for being here
0: thank you so much Judy we we're so happy that you you know it's a little bit of a different perspective because we are all underclassmen and not only have you taken the upperclassmen classes but you're also in college now so you kind of have a different perspective and we're really happy that you know you allowed yourself to open up a little bit more on certain topics that you couldn't talk about as much before um and we're so happy and we're hoping that you know through this podcast maybe other people will also know that it's not that scary to talk about your opinions on certain things it's not that scary to have a conversation with others about things if you find people who you actually feel comfortable with and I yeah I'm really I think the
1: point of this was to kind of facilitate a conversation where people can feel open about this Um, because you know I think that's not hard nowadays I think it is more difficult to find a place where you can a openly express your experiences and then b have someone who can relate to them understand them and then kind of riff off of them to have create their own and say their own thoughts.
0: Thank you to the students for sharing their experiences at BUA. Every person has had different experiences at the school and this brings forth a unique perspective on the subject.
1: Agreed. Next up, Audrey and I will be talking with Professor Taku Rivera, a BU professor who specializes in performance studies with an emphasis on race, sexuality, and gender in American culture. He has been a strong voice during this turbulent time and has given a few talks about the past Atlanta shootings as well as some of the history behind Asian American violence. We thanking him for joining us. Based on the recent events that happened in Atlanta and kind of that are happening around the United States right now, what kind of was your first reaction to that?
4: Um, well, I mean, I think my first reaction to the Atlanta killings was um, there was definitely a sense of shock and then despair and anger as it started to really settle into the reality of, of what had happened. Um, I, I guess it wasn't so much surprise over the fact of the matter, but it was surprise over the scale of the matter uh, because the fact that, that that you know so many Asian women were slaughtered at once by this, this gunman who for all intents and purposes is a white supremacist. Um, and in many ways, it represented something of a of an apogee of anti-Asian violence that had been culminating over the course of the year as a consequence of the of the the COVID pandemic. So it it was um, it was heartbreaking, and I knew that I had to do something about it. And you know, and so I feel like recently um, I've been. Trying to educate as many people as possible about how this is connected to larger histories and larger legacies of, of anti Asian violence, medical scapegoating, uh, imperialism, and gendered violence against Asian women in particular.
1: Yeah, I agree. I definitely think this was like a culmination of some sort. Because I don't know about you, but kind of all throughout COVID. Um, my parents have kind of been warning me of just like smaller instances that have been happening across um, the United States. But then I feel like this was definitely one that A, caught the media's attention um, and B, was something that sparked kind of a nationwide movement, I would say. Yeah, and I also, I think it's really
0: important how you touched upon how much this virus and kind of COVID-19 has also like deepened people's prejudice against Asian Americans. I was wondering uh, kind of from your experience and kind of from what you've seen, um, how really has this virus kind of really affected Asian-Americans and their
1: position, kind of how people see them in society?
4: Right. So the virus effectively reactivated Certain long-standing anti-Asian fears that have been in existence in the United States for more than a century, in many respects. Um, if you look all the way to the begin to the um, to the ends of the nineteenth century and the beginning of the twentieth century, like Chinese people in particular, were scapegoated as being unclean, as being a public health threat at the time when public health was just emerging as a field in the United States. Um, you know, this long-standing stereotype of of uh, Asians eating anything, for example, which is which sort of is attached to the wet market uh, genealogy of, of, of the of the virus. So there's this way in which the the virus represented something of a of a catalyst for reigniting these pre-existing fears uh, around Asian Americans. And of course, as with most people of color in the United States. Um, different racialized groups get scapegoated at the drop of a dime when it is convenient to preserving the racial status quo. So in this case, it's Asian Americans as a consequence of this long standing xenophobia and it also allows people like Donald Trump and the Republican Party to externalize the responsibility for handling the virus to outside actors, right, you know, in his rhetoric of kung flu and the China, his insistence on the China virus as, as a term, um, repeatedly racializes the disease and puts the blame specifically on a group of people um, as opposed to seeing it as just a public health threat that needs to be countered. And of course, if there's any country that really dropped the ball in handling the, 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 the virus, especially in the first uh, year, it was the United States, not the Asian countries, right? So, um, so yeah, I think, it's, I think it's an intensification of things that, that were already there, but nevertheless, there's, there's no doubt a gigantic increase of, uh, in anti-Asian hate crimes.
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think the pandemic kind of um, sparked like uh, kind of sparked a fire in some sense um, that has been raging throughout the United States so far. Um, I don't know, I did think it was interesting though how a lot of people are pitting minorities against each other mm-hmm. and how um, even both with, when Black Lives Matter was a huge thing and now again when um, anti-Asian hate is kind of being um, announced by the media. Uh, how they're kind of seeing this as like specifically I would say um, the black community against the Asian community or Asian community does not stand for like black lives matter and I don't know, I don't know about you, but that was something that just kind of infuriated me in some sense yeah. in the fact that like it's it's less that one minority is against one minority, but it should rather be that like we're trying to stand together and like that's not the image necessarily that people um
4: tend to project as much. I completely agree, I 100% agree. And um, I mean, one of the things that I, I've been doing a lot recently has just been sort of countering this idea that we have to compete for attention, right? Like, you know, the, 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 re- the recent, uh, you know, the recent, you know, the recent murder in in Minneapolis, Derek Chauvin trial, right? Like these these things are absolutely relevant to the Asian American community too, right? I think what's important to understand is that fighting racism is not a zero-sum game. Right, and, and, you know, you look back at the history of, of Asian America, you wouldn't have as many Asian Americans in this country if not for the Black liberation struggle, right? if, if we're talking about 1965 immigration reform happening at the heels of the civil rights movement, for example. Right? So, um, and on top of that, we should be grateful for Black Lives Matter, for, for providing a kind of activist infrastructure and nomenclature for us to be able to address these issues of white supremacy at large. And um, this idea that, and of course, obviously the Atlanta shooter was a white guy. (laughs) Um, And the way in which he was sort of excused for it was on the basis of his white male privilege in many respects, right? And moreover, the fact that the the police's dismissal of it being a racially motivated killing represents the inadequacy of the police to respond to issues of racial justice, meaning that the Black Lives Matter demand for defunding the police is not incompatible with what we are demanding for justice for Asian Americans. Uh, I think that in many respects, uh, you know, policing and the prison industrial complex is not an adequate response to addressing anti-Asian hate, particularly when we think about the longer history of Asian American subjugation in the United States, when we think about internment, when we think about the exclusion act, when we think about the ways in which police attacks on civilians during COVID actually increased against Asian Americans. Um, It's not like increasing the police presence is going to stop um, anti-Asian hate crimes. It is oftentimes part of the very basis upon which anti-Asian contempt has been built. So the thing is, is that in order for us to achieve racial justice, both the Asian American community and the black community, um, and for that matter, the Latinx community, uh, need to see that these goals are in line with one another. And in so far as we see each other just fighting over the scraps of what whiteness is dropping for us under the table, we're gonna lose, <laughs> you know? So I, so I, so that's, yeah, so I totally agree with you.
1: It's, it definitely has been a lot of minorities pitted against one another, even so far the fact that like my um, Asian grandmother, she will kind of say something a little bit disrespectful towards the black community um, in the, like, I don't know how to, <laughs> to really describe this, more so than the fact that like, everyone is experiencing racism Towards everyone else, and it's yeah. just kind of coming from all directions simultaneously.
4: That's that it's right. really
1: hard to kind of um, band together and find that common goal, which is something that I feel like we really need to do in the coming days, especially as all of this discrimination, all of this racism, um, especially in America, grows.
4: Yes. No. Absolutely. Um, and I understand the confusion around that, and I understand the 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 way in which the the kinds of anti asian and anti black violences are so decentralized but i think what's important to keep in mind is two things first of all um, there have been some studies conducted on on you know some of the attacks on on asian people and a lot of times when it's coming from other people of color it's not always racially motivated like for example there's a there's a report written by molo chang um, looking at the Oakland attacks in particular, and you know, she, she kind of did a deep dive in looking at these various cases, and it seemed pretty clear that a lot of a lot of the crime against Asian people committed by by say for example black folks uh, was oftentimes just kind of like target of opportunity, right? Like that, like they were poor and they needed that purse, right? That kind kind of thing. Um, Whereas you know, what happened in, in Atlanta, that's definitely racially motivated. And we can kind of talk a little bit about why that was the case. Um, but secondly, even when other people of color are specifically attacking Asians, um, in cases like that, uh, where it is in fact racially motivated, I think it's important to understand that even people of color are capable of aligning with white supremacy. So, you know, uh, and, and you see that on both sides of the equation, right? I mean, if we're talking about the killing, the historical killing in the early 90s of Latasha Harlins by a Korean grocer, right? Um, you know, she was Korean, she, but she was absolutely supporting a system of, of white supremacist property. Uh, by 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 killing this 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 black woman, um, black girl really actually, um, and similarly I think the 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 African American man who 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 beat that Filipino woman in New York City recently in front of the uh, you know was onlookers did nothing, right? Um, he may have been black, but he was absolutely supporting a system of white supremacy by doing so. Right. So I think, I think that it's important. That's why it's actually very important to distinguish whiteness and white supremacy from white people, because it is possible for 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 non white people to support a system of, 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 of white supremacist status quo. And similarly, it's also possible for white people to oppose that uh, as well. And so there are always these sort of different possibilities
0: yeah I don't want to like get philosophical or anything but that shows a lot about you know like human nature and you know there's so many things that we can't control in people and there are going to be those people who you know they just find joy in doing these things they find they have they haven't they feel a need to you know go out of their way and commit these hate crimes and there's little that we can do to kind of fully switch them because that's what they are rooted in and that's what they believe in but what we can what we can do I think that increases the importance of you know all the different minorities and you know white allies to band together and kind of make sure that we can't directly change people's opinions if they have them already rooted but kind of create this awareness in general so that things don't have to keep on repeating themselves. And I think what's really important too um, is the reaction after, you know, what can we do to make sure that justice is achieved against these things? And I think that's really important. Um, Going back to like the Atlanta and even like the recent uh, shooting in Minneapolis when it was like, oh, I just mistaken it for a gun. And then that one was like, oh, he was having a bad day. I think what angers me the most is just these excuses that come after it. Um, I think that's what really, if people are constantly trying to put off what the actual causes of this are and just saying, oh, this person is just doing this kind of being like, oh, because they're white, they have this white privilege. They don't deserve this punishment that is just, what our legal system has put in place. I don't know. Do you have any reactions, I guess, to these like excuses I would say that these people are making in a sense?
4: Absolutely. Yeah. No, really well put. I think that, you know, there is a way in which whiteness affords the benefit of the doubt. Um, and there are some people who are deserving of empathy within the US racial system and those who are not. Um, and a lot of that is deeply rooted in general assumptions about who's like a hardworking person in America and who's deserving of this and who isn't. Um, there is such a, a long-standing equation, a racist equation of blackness with laziness, for example, right? And as a consequence, you know, um, there is this authoritarian assumption that being hard on black folks is somehow good for them, right, which is like rooted deeply in, in, in slavery right like it's rooted deeply in terms of the, the rationale. of like we we have, to, we have to be harsh on these people in in order to enlighten them right like so so that so that's this is a deeply racist. Uh, colonialist notion right Um similarly with Asians right, I mean I think there's a. There's a lot of time, you know, one thing I'll say is like sometimes hate is not always the right word to describe anti-Asian violence because sometimes the violence is just so casual. Sometimes the violence is just so like, uh, it's, it's from a, an indifference from acknowledging Asians as, as what we call grievable subjects, you know, because so much of our history, when we're thinking about you know, bombing countries in Southeast Asia to save them from communism, or for example, um, I mean, even if we go all the way back to 1492, the idea that that the the indigenous people on this uh, in this continent or in, in the surrounding islands were Indians, uh, this speaks to the way in which this Orientalist anti-Asian logic has been part of just the uh, sort of a necessary part for the Manifest Destiny expansion of the United States. Um, sort of a sad, unfortunate reality that the Asians must die, right? Um, so there's this way that, that humanity, the full humanity and interiority and motivation and good faith intention of people of color is oftentimes denied, usually denied, unless the important caveat, unless it benefits white supremacy. It is always conditional, right? Whereas white folks are always given the benefit of the doubt. White folks are always, uh, you know, thought of as like, oh well, of course, like you know, this, that we we have to we have to see it from their perspective, right? Um, so there's always excuses, right? There's always right, like like you know. The, the officer who, who who shot Dante Wright, for example, right, um, just like the officer who killed Oscar Grant in two thousand and ten, confusing the gun with the with 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 the with the teaser, um, which is such a ridiculous excuse. But then think about Tamir Rice and the way in which Tamir Rice is holding a toy gun, and then you know, he's and he's literally a boy, a little boy, shot by the and killed by the police. Um, And the ways in which certain types of confusions um certain types of confusions are seen as understandable and and some are not right um so yeah you're absolutely right it's 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 this is part of the way in which white privilege functions and and white privilege functions uh you know principally in order to preserve the current order of things
1: yeah and i would say like kind of going off that the idea of like the asian model minority too um i don't know about you but like whenever I think of that, it kind of outrages me a little bit, just the fact that like people, specifically white people assume that um, I've heard stories of Asians not even being considered a minority or the fact that like people think that Asians have it so good. um, When in fact, I would say that A, there are statistics that show that Asians are actually the minority that have the largest income gap between um, Asians who might have done really well and deciding Asians who might not have done so well. And I feel like the Asians who like did well; those are the ones that like benefit white supremacy, and those are the ones who you know, white people see as the good Asians, so to speak.
4: Right, right. Um, so I am writing a book on the whole model minority thing, and you know, and so I, I put a lot of thought into that that question. I think that um, so first of all, on a more immediate note: what you said, Joy, is, is absolutely spot on. In the sense of, you know, this is this is why it's important for us to have data disaggregation. Um, And what's interesting is you see Asian Americans, Asian American activists on both sides of the issue, right? Um, And there are a lot of anti-disaggregation Asian American activists who tend to come from the more privileged sectors, right? So, you know, if you look at, you know, income of say, you know, Korean Americans versus among Americans, there's like, you know, we're, we're looking at massive differences, right? Um, but there is a way in which the model minority, I like to say that the model minority is not so much a myth as it is an ideology. Because there are some Asian Americans who do embrace it, right? There are some Asian Americans who, who love themselves a the model minority uh, conceptualization because, um, and then they attach themselves to it and, and they want to excel and all, all this other stuff. So there is, but, but, but on the other hand, right, uh, there are ways in which, in which like the model minority always functions to benefit, again, the larger system of white supremacy, because insofar as you have a minority that is doing well on the basis of their own merits, then you can point to other minority groups that are not doing as well and be like, well, why can't she be like them, right? So the model minority has functioned oftentimes as an anti-Black discourse. Interestingly, historically speaking, the model minority has also been utilized as um, a form of telling white people to get their stuff together too, because sometimes there's actually the, the underlying fear, uh, you know, especially when we look at the early roots of it with, uh, you know, post-intermittent Japanese Americans, that, uh that the Asian American model minorities were seen as ideal Americans in many respects, and and that white people have something to learn from their Confucian values as well, um, and you know so so. But of course, you're right. It completely erases the ways in which Asian Americans still suffer, right? Hundred um, percent, and it erases the ways in which, you know, not all Asian Americans fit that that mo- that mode. Uh, so so the the model minority is it's a it's a it's a nasty ideology, but it's also one that constantly haunts us. It's one that, that, that is constantly playing a role in how we figure out what it means to be Asian American, whether we disavow it or embrace it.
0: I I think that was really well said and I think that really touches on, you know, a lot of people think that all Asians um, dislike this model minority thing, but I I found it really surprising because I'm second generation my parents um moved here for college and it is part of a lot of asian families cultures to you know hold them ourselves to very high standards and hold ourselves to almost be like the most perfect and i think it's important that people understand a little bit More about what this model minority actually means. Um, I think too many people just don't want to throw anyone under the bus, like any of my classmates or anything. But I think a lot of them, you know, they just, if they have trouble with a problem, they'll just go straight to someone who is Asian because they're going to assume that that person will know the answer. (laughs) And there are some people, you know, some classmates who enjoy when people come up to them and be like, oh, yeah. I think that you will, they feel almost like they, there's a pride in them, you know, oh, other people are asking me for help, that gives me re- reassurance to, that I am doing fine in this class or something. I think there's a little bit of, like, almost like a misunderstanding about this um, Asian model minority, so I, I really appreciate, uh, you know, like, your explaining of it and what it really means, you know, especially for me coming as, coming from, like, an Asian family who, you know, was deeply rooted in Asian cultures and these ideals. Um, And, you know, I've been born and raised in America. So I've learned to like adjust my ideals and adjust myself to different societies. But I know that there are a lot of people who still carry these ideals with them. Um, And I also think, if I'm gonna be completely honest, that we ourselves put a lot of pressure on ourselves in a sense to, do well, but I feel like a lot of people don't realize that for any person, no matter what minority they are, have this own self-pressure that they put on each other. It's not just people who are Asian. I'm sure many other people also, you know, have that. And I think kind of what you were talking about, um, there, is, there are these stereotypes surrounding education and race and like relating certain races to being like, oh, how well they're supposed to be doing in school and stuff like that. And I don't think that people realize that there's no way to actually categorize any sort of a race or minority to a certain thing. It really actually depends on, you know, how you yourself want to grow and how you yourself kind of look in education. And a lot of people don't realize that, I think.
4: Absolutely. And, and I think one of the issues, of course, is that, um, you know, you kind of have to look at immigration patterns. You have to look at, at, the kind of socioeconomic dynamics that are that sort of play out, right? So, for example, you know, I mentioned 1965 immigration reform. You know, prior to that, a lot of a lot of Asian Americans who were here were like deeply working class, and like not necessarily seen as model minorities at all, right? Um, and that, that's that. And um, and I think that, but I think that you know, in, in more contemporary Asian American waves have tended to be sort of like two primary um, uh, categories, right? So you have one group that's actually very already, that comes to this country very well educated, comes to this country with a lot of cultural capital already. Um, and then there's another uh, category of folks who are, you know, refugees who come here with, um, you know, under a, 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 wide difference of uh, a wide set of circumstances. So, you know, there's this way in which like, There is a class privilege that sometimes accompanies certain forms of Asian Americans who who come over, and and then that gets passed intergenerationally. And then suddenly there's this notion like, oh, Asians are just magically good at this stuff. Right, but that's not really how it works right like you know I I think when you come from when there are certain types of institutional privilege that are carried over on an economic basis but not a racial basis you're still going to succeed at certain things right. Um, Similar to you know you, you see this with like West African immigrants too, oftentimes right who are who are coming from places like like, like, you know, like Nigeria. Uh, Who represent the creme de la creme of their of of their or their sort of social stratum there, and you know when I was when I was at at, when I went to undergrad like you know the strongest students strongest classmates I had were 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 African, Um, you know they 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 were the ones who were just rocking everything, (laughs) and I was like you know wasn't for me it wasn't the Asians right, Um, and 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 that is the reflective not of any form of of racial superiority one way or the other, but of a particular kind of class background and a a particular professional profile.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, like um, the people, the immigrants who do tend to come here, they tend to be of a higher social class simply because they have the means, they have the resources to be able to come to America. Um, Obviously that's not true for everyone. My grandfather, I'm pretty sure came on a boat, (laughs) but- I think that like the large majority of immigrants, that is true. What means to be Asian American specifically BU um, and like the BU campus. I guess, what are your thoughts on that as a professor?
4: Okay, so right now, literally I am composing a proposal for the establishment of Asian American studies at BU. That's what I'm doing right now. And that is because currently I've been in conversation with people at a number of different levels, at the the undergraduate level, at the staff level, at the faculty level, and the overwhelming feedback I'm hearing from people is that Asian American resources at BU are weak. And that's in comparison to a lot of local institutions compared to UMass Boston, compared to Northeastern. you know, right now the sort of principal Asian American representation organizationally is the Asian Student Union, um, because there it's not like because we don't have an Asian American Center, we don't have an Asian American Studies. You know, um, so I'm I'm literally trying to establish that right now, um, and I think that Asian that that BU needs to intensify its commitment to multicultural resources on campus. Uh, in general. The establishment of, I mean, the, the, or rather the acquisition of the the Center for Anti-Racist Research is a good first step, but it's not necessarily one that is facing inward towards the campus community itself. I think Professor Kendi's work is, is, is absolutely magnificent for building a national profile, but there still needs to be work done at the institutional level for those who are at BU. Yeah. Um so and and I hear I've heard a number of testimonies again at all levels of the types of microaggressions, harassment uh that Asian Americans have been experiencing on campus and it's not a good situation.
1: Yeah, I definitely think that BU is slightly different in the fact that um our community is actually 40% Asian, which is amazing. Um but I don't know. I still see those microaggressions, and relating to our studies as a whole, we do essentially absolutely no research or any. We don't study anything besides European history in um, oh. freshman sophomore, uh, which come come come. I believe senior year we can start taking classes at BU in which we can study other cultures if we want to, but freshman sophomore and junior are essentially European studies or American studies, um, (laughs) which doesn't leave much room at all for looking at other cultures. Um, I don't know. I think I personally was lucky in the fact that my middle school did teach a good amount about Asian history. I learned about all the Chinese dynasties, Um, but even still it, I would not say that I have a good knowledge of kind of Asian American histories in general, um, the small parts that I do know come down from me, from my grandparents, or from outside resources. But educationally, there's virtually no uh, teachings about Asian American cultures or history.
4: Yeah, and I think the difficulty that you're in, of course, is that you know you're you're in a private institution, so you know well that has advantages and disadvantages, right? So. I mean, the good news is if if enough like Asian American parents banded together, you know, as like tuition paying stakeholders, you know, then I imagine maybe people will listen, uh, potentially in terms of changing the curriculum. Um, Are you familiar with the classic band uh, Rage Against the Machine from the 90s?
1: I am not okay. <laughs> I want you, I want, I, at, at
4: some point I would like you to look up uh, a song by Rage Against the Machine called Take the Power Back um, and it's basically it's a hard rock song but it's a, it's it's a song that's basically literally about like being educated under a Eurocentric curriculum and how infuriating it is um, so Take the Power Back by Rage Against the Machine that, that should be trending again um (laughs) but but yeah i mean what you're saying is is really reflective of the way in which education has you know throughout the west been utilized as a colonial force for the normalization of certain forms of 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 quote-unquote western values and yeah in the western intellectual tradition and that means that oftentimes the deliberate exclusion of other histories of color right so yeah you're not going to learn about like you know the the the, the different dynasties of china in most high schools right um yeah. and and so you know so you so, see so from a world history perspective yeah it's gonna be but 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 you know sometimes and in, in, sometimes in a good in some good high school situations you you'll get some of that history But then what you also won't get will be like a history about Asian American organizing, right? That's happening in the States even, right? Um, I mean, you'll hear about like, you know, I mean, it is good that you hear about like the civil rights movement and that's fantastic, right? But even then you're not gonna hear about the more radical uh, trends of the black radical uh, tradition. You're not gonna hear about, um, unless you're in California, you're not gonna hear about the Chicano movement. and you're certainly not gonna hear about the Asian-American movement, right? All of, you know, which was deeply attached to uh, and inspired by the Black Power movement, deeply inspired by, by the anti-Vietnam War movement, right? And yet that was a movement that established what it actually meant to be Asian-American, right? The term Asian-American didn't exist without that kind of political activism that you heard that, 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 that occurred in the 1960s necessarily emerged from ignorance. Uh, because a lot of times people know exact, know, can know all about the people that they're killing, right? Yeah. Um, sometimes racism can emerge from knowledge. Um, when we think about, for example, the establishment of certain forms of like East Asian studies programs, a lot of it was in order to better control East Asian countries, so that we could stop them from falling to communism, <laughs> um, and 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 that resulted in the deaths of hundreds of thousands of like Vietnamese people, right, or millions of millions of Vietnamese people. And 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 do we consider that a form of anti-Asian hate? Probably not by most metrics, but that's how most Asians are being killed, is through actually the knowledge of them, or through or or you know. So 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 I guess what I'm trying to say is institutional racism doesn't it is not necessarily out of ignorance a lot of times it is is it is it is out of is out of a, a, a need to control and a need to 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 maintain a system of hierarchy and a lot of times it's thoroughly intentional right mm-hmm. um and, and 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 even if they're presented with certain facts right if we're presented with the facts of the incredible uh, civilizational, uh, uh, um, importance of, of places in African civilizations, right? Um, that is going to be totally ignored and disregarded as you're enslaving Black people, right? So, so the thing is, is that ideology will always shape what is known and what is not known, and, and sometimes ignorance, ignorance is strategic, Um, And it is a result, not necessarily from, from, from not knowing, but the resulting from choosing to not know.
1: Yeah, that's really in depth. Um, And I definitely think that that's like a perspective that I haven't as much thought about, but um, I guess more thinking about it, you can see, I can kind of see that even right now in the real world, as tensions with the U.S. and China increase. Um, I would say that a lot of like, some of the fear that's happening in the U.S. comes from the fact that China has the ability to become a much bigger global power than the U.S., overtaking it and becoming the number one country, overtaking the United States for many, many years. Um, And I feel like in that sense, yeah, knowledge is part of the reason for that, that fear.
4: The the U.S.-China thing is so, I mean, there's there's a lot to talk about there. And and I like how you frame that because I feel like it's always a fear of losing supremacy, right? The white, no, supremacy, white supremacy. White supremacy, right? Like, like if you look at at these 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 like vicious racists, one of the big fears that they have is of quote unquote white genocide which is like the most ridiculous concept, but this yeah. idea, right, of like white people being replaced, right, remember even like, you know, back during the Trump era, the the, the, the University of Virginia, the, you know, Tiki Torchings, they kept chanting, Jews will not replace us. This notion of the fear of being replaced only comes from a place, uh, from a previous standpoint of dominance, right? Yeah. So it's always the fear of losing the privilege of being on top of others because if you lose that, you don't know what else you are.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think people always want to stay in power and they will often do as much as they can to remain and to keep that power. Um, and I think that is kind of what's happening with the tensions to US and China.
0: So to close our podcast, we would like to remind everyone of ways they can be supportive of the Asian American community. We hope that our stories and raw reactions will invoke you to further educate yourself about what it means to be Asian or Asian American.
1: As the US continues to experience more and more hate crimes, we hope that this podcast is a stepping stone for others to speak out on issues which they feel passionate about. As members of our diverse community at BUA, we hope we can allow our voices to be heard and to inform those who understand our culture less.
0: We would also like to invite those who wish to Look at standwithasianamericans.com for more detailed information about the Asian American community and ways which you can donate or help support.
1: Additionally, aapip.org is another great resource for those who wish to learn more about the Asian community.
0: We thank everyone for listening to our podcast and we hope that those who are listening have learned something about AAPI communities. Look forward to our next episode which will be up next month.
1: Finally, we would like to thank Kayleen Chen, Judy Ye, and Professor Rivera for telling their side of the story and sharing their honest reactions.
0: Once again, thanks for listening.